0: Uh, I'm going to read, read the scripture for today, um, and then at the end of, of reading that, um, I will say this is the word of God, and you'll all reply, thanks be to God. We've done this a few times, but it's nice to kind of reiterate uh, that habit. So I'll be reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 35. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it to the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Be to God. Great job! You may be seated. Hey, will you give Chris a hand? Uh, uh, this is. Oh man, so so many. Uh, Chris, thanks for doing that. Thanks for jumping up. Uh, Chris has uh, uh, been around Mosaic for a number of years, was one of our leaders in training a, a number of years ago, has continued to serve and lead in a number of different ways, uh, and is very uh, unique, special, wonderful in that he said, I actually want to be up in front of people and like talking in front of people, which um, how many of you love that? Oh, good, okay, great. Okay, so uh, two of us, that's great. So. Uh, so, Chris, thank you for, for doing that and, and being a part of uh, our morning and helping serve and, and lead this, this time and space together. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. It is really good to be with you uh, here in this room this morning because, because you're here. Um, this, this, this space and this experience is getting just a little bit warmer because we're in the room together. I mean, think how cold this would be if, we, if no one was here. I mean, that would be, that would be uncomfortable. Um, so here's, here's what happened. If you're here for the very first time at Mosaic, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we, uh, we usually don't have it this warm. We usually like to keep it cooler in here just to keep our minds sharp and we pay attention. We're, no, uh, we had a little glitch with the heating system this weekend that we didn't realize until about 6 a.m. this morning, and so we've been keeping the machines going to try to heat it up, and it's just not quite there. So by the time we end up done today will be I'm sure just really comfortable and warm but um, yeah it's you, you're not odd if you think like oh, that's kind of cold in here does anybody know we're, we're aware of it and um, we've got it turned up high so uh, there was oh Um, One other thing, Connor shared uh, about being baptized in a few weeks, and uh, we know that there are uh, a few that are part of uh, our our church family right now that are considering that, and so continue to, to pray for you. There's others that are, you know, maybe brand new to Jesus, and you're wondering if you're ready to do that, and as Connor said, like, there's no... Uh, It's just, do you know Jesus? Do you put your faith in Jesus? And then we would like to celebrate with you and do this thing called baptism. We have actually legit, really warm water here. Um, And so actually, if we don't figure out the heat, we might have a whole lot of people that want to get baptized in a month. But um, it's a a wonderful step of obedience. Uh, Jesus was baptized. He calls his followers to be baptized. Um, but we also have uh, not just Connor available to talk but we have another uh, current leader in training Um, and part of our vision as a church is to invest in the next generation of leaders wherever God is calling them Um, but Nick is here and he's going to be available over there as well and part of his kind of role with with us this year is to is to walk people through uh, baptism and so Nick will be over there as well thanks thanks Nick for being being here for that Hey, would you do this with me? Would you just uh, close your eyes and pray with me for a moment? And then we're going we're gonna to walk through these, these verses that Chris just read for us that we just listened to. God, you are, are here in this, in this moment, in, in this space. And uh, as we've sung and as we've prayed already, we, we acknowledge that you are here, uh, that you're a God that, that sees and knows each and every one of us that you have created us, um, that we're not here by chance or accident, but, uh, but you know us and you have your hand on each and every one of us and that you are a good and powerful and loving God. And so would our experience in this moment right here in your time, in your space, remind us of that, teach us that maybe for the first time and press on us in a new way that you know us and that you love us. Holy Spirit, as we've been reading about you these last number of weeks, as we've walking through this book of Acts and we've seen you and heard your story at work, we ask that you would would continue that story in us as individuals and in our church and in churches across our city and world today, that you would be working in powerful and visible in real ways and that we would be able to point to things and say, we have no explanation for that other than you Holy Spirit working and moving in the world today. And so would you start with our own hearts and minds this morning? Would you have your way with us? Would you direct us? Would you change us? And Jesus, not just in this place in this time, but in our own lives, would, would you be seen and known and declared as King and as savior? Would you teach us now and lead us now as we look to to your word and to scripture? It's in your name that we pray, amen. So we've been in this book of Acts It's the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is is commonly referred to as the story of the church, the very first church that started. Um, I think it is actually far more about not just the church, but before that, it's about the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been getting to know and be reminded of and see and learn how it is that the Holy Spirit showed up. Jesus promised before he was crucified, dead and buried, Resurrected and then spent a few weeks with his disciples and then ascended into heaven. Like they literally saw him float up into heaven. But before all that, he said, I'm gonna send someone, a helper to be with you. And then the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way. And we read about that a number of weeks ago. And then the Holy Spirit continues to work. And as we move through this book of Acts, we'll see over and over and over how the Holy Spirit shows up and works. And so the Acts is really the acts of the Holy Spirit that empower the church and that we pray would empower each and every one of us today and our church today and many other churches today. So it's about the Holy Spirit. And what we saw in the first few chapters is that these exciting things are happening and, and the church is growing and it's this, this vibrant, exciting story. And then last week we read this, this this hard pivot, this new element to the story, this new dynamic happens where the followers of Jesus are challenged and resisted against and confronted. And what we're seeing is the beginning of this this experience called persecution, (laughs) that because of who somebody is and what they believe that that others treat them poorly or limit them, throw them in jail, even beat them. And that's just the very start of it. And so last week we talked a lot about courage and what does it mean to have courage as a follower of Jesus? We're all familiar with what it means to have courage just as a human being, and whether it's jumping off of something really high or doing something that frightens us and, and stepping up to that challenge and trying to be bold and courageous in that moment. But we talked last week of what it means to, to be courageous for Jesus. Here's a simple definition of, of courage, just as we know what we're talking about. Courage is, is this mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. We, we get that. We know that. We're familiar with that. We know that there's just daily living requires some level of courage here and there. The ability to do something that frightens one. We've all had an opportunity, whether we followed through or not, to do something that that frightens them. I've, uh, I shared this last week and, but uh, I didn't have an issue with heights until I got older. And I think what it was, was having kids uh, and realizing, oh, a kid could fall off of something. And so now I have a slight, a slight, I mean, it's minor, but I have a fear of heights. And so when I get up high, I start, it's not the best thing. I have to have courage and be bold to step to the edge of something now. Um, This used to be fine stepping to the very edge of it. Now, if I'm like within, you know, say two feet, that's like, that's fine for me. That's good. That frightens me to have courage is to step closer to the edge of something. We looked last week of what it means to be a story of Peter and John specifically that were courageous when it came to to saying the name of Jesus and talking about Jesus. And we learned these five things about uh, being courageous for Jesus. It comes from being with Jesus. Being courageous for Jesus doesn't make any sense if you don't actually know him. That doesn't compute. It comes from being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not only up to us. The story we saw and what we'll continue to see is that the Holy Spirit gives us an empowerment for courage. It comes from growing clarity of of the good news that we return over and over and over again. If you were here right when we started, if you don't know this, we start at 10 a.m. and We typically start singing right at 10 a.m. And the first song that we started singing was a reminder to us of what Jesus has done for us. It takes us back to this, and we get clarity over and over of the gospel, the good news. And courage comes from choosing Jesus above all others and making that a habit of learning to do that regularly. And courage for Jesus does come with a cost. What you heard Chris read already today and that we're going to look to here in in these next few moments is... um, what do we need when our courage for Jesus is tested? If you follow Jesus, if you believe in Jesus and seek to follow him in, in this world, you've experienced some kind of cost for that. Uh, and maybe you have to think about it for a minute, or maybe it's right there just the front of your mind, and you know that the cost that's been paid, it might be in, in reputation, it might be in how you're treated in a particular workspace or neighborhood or, or friendships or, or uh, it, it could be any number of things that have some kind of cost that that you've paid as we read through the book of Acts we see that the first followers of Jesus the first church actually were were persecuted Peter and John were were thrown in jail um, later on a number almost almost every single one of the first followers of Jesus the disciples that referred to here as apostles gave their life like they they died they were Executed, some tortured and then executed, some spent decades in, in jail, that the world around them opposed the, the goodness, the kindness and the truth of Jesus and his gospel. When we experience that in the world today, in your life today, in my life today, there are certain things that, that we can go to. When our courage is tested, we're gonna see in a story today that there's three simple things that it goes to. And I I want to say this, for for those of you that are part of our church here at at Mosaic, I think these three things, and they're not revolutionary, in fact, they're not even new, but they're particularly timely for us as a church. They're particularly timely for us as a church, and uh, we didn't schedule this or plan this. The way that we approach scripture here at Mosaic is that, like right now, we're teaching through the book of Acts, and so, you know, we didn't write this. We believe that it's God's word. It's inspired. It's given to us. And so we read it and study it and say, God, what is it that you were saying to them when this was written? And what of that message, how does that translate to us today? And so this was not something that I said or our team said. Um, this is as we move through the book of Acts that we believe that God has, there's a, there's a timelessness to it and there's a timeliness to it. And I think these three things are particularly timely for us as a church today and for anyone who, wants to know what it means to follow Jesus and, and particularly if you step out with a sense of boldness and confidence and courage what that means uh, when that's tested and resisted or pushed against. So let's look at these three things. Let's start with verse 20, uh, 23, as you heard read earlier, but it's chap- Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Again, if you're not, if you weren't here last week, you're not familiar with the story. Um, Peter and John uh, were teaching and walking around and telling people about Jesus. And they were, they, there was these signs and wonders that were happening as well. People were being being healed and, and, and that gathered more attention and more focus. And people were actually choosing to believe in Jesus. And this, this little church thing that had started had just expanded. And we read uh, last week that it grew to about 5,000 men. So in the in the city of Jerusalem at that time, there's 5,000 men, which meant probably somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people that all of a sudden said, I want to be a part of this new thing, which is massive. That's huge. And so the, the rulers, the people that had power at that time, and there was a whole list of them, Sadducees and Pharisees, religious leaders, um, they're kind of like priests or uh, scribes and teachers and rulers of the law, all these, all these people that had power in that culture, in that setting, saw this movement start to happen. And they said, whoa, let's put the brakes on this. You guys that have started this, you just stop till we get our bearings here. And so they, they grabbed Peter and John and put them in jail. They had a conversation among themselves. What do we do with them? Because they just did this healing. People are following them. Something's happening here. We got them in jail. That'll slow it down. Let's bring them into like a court setting and, and test them and ask them questions and say, hey, this is, this is something we, we don't want to." We don't, uh, we don't understand, and we want you to stop. And so they kind of pushed on them and quizzed them and, and did all this kind of stuff. And then, and then they said, hey, we're going to put you back in jail and talk about what, what we're going to do with you. And then they brought him out and said, okay, you can't do this anymore, so you have to stop. And if you don't, these are the consequences that are going to happen. We're going to threaten you in these ways. And then they sent them on their way. Peter and John returned to their folks So they go back to their, their home, wherever they live, living and not necessarily the upper room where all that action happened, but they went back to their, their people, their kind of core closest friends in their church. And they said, here, here's what happened. And they just shared all of it. And then they prayed together. When you step out in boldness and have confidence in Jesus and begin to maybe speak the name of Jesus or make certain decisions that are counter to those around you, when you start telling somebody about the good news and there's questions that come or maybe even resistance, and we hope that there's interest, but when you step out in courage and your courage is tested, the first thing that they did, the first thing that we can do is is pray. Now, I realize as I say that that would be really easy to go. Okay, great. What's number two? Like, isn't that just kind of an automatic? Like, you pray. Okay, uh, great. Check. Like, next. And um, I want to. I want to ask you just just for if you just hang with me for a moment, is to not dismiss this quickly, but to actually actually to stop for a minute and go, hey, um, what did that? What would that actually look like? If if I'm gonna if I'm gonna need courage in a situation, and then it gets resisted. Where, where do I go? What happens in us when we've made a a conscious decision to step out and be courageous in some way for Jesus. And then all of a sudden that doesn't go well. Our instinct is to shrink back. Our instinct is to find another route and go in a different direction. There are uh, a ton of ways to deal with, with say fear or anxiety um, or danger that would stop us from moving forward. Um, I, I, uh, I was in a setting recently when I uh, talked through um, how to deal with um, anxiety and fear. And maybe you, uh, this is super common, but it's, and I don't remember the exact name of it, but I think it's like the, um, the, 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 four, the, the box prayer or the four second prayer when you, when you breathe in for four seconds and you hold for four seconds and then you breathe out for four seconds and then you hold for four seconds and, you, and, you do. and what happens when we do that is that our, we start to settle a little bit we start to calm and hopefully our heart slows down a little bit and we, we all get calm. That, that's effective. Like that, that works. Um, that does not necessarily have anything to do with Jesus other than he had a hand in creating how we work as human beings and that kind of thing. But that's not directly. So we can, we can find ways to deal with challenging situations and with fear that have nothing to do with Jesus. And, and for many of us, we, those are our go-tos. We automatically go there. And we have ways of dealing with challenging situations, even when it has to do with Jesus that are good and human, but don't tie us to Jesus in any way. And there's a whole lot of those different kinds of things and we all have our own. There's there's ways that we, there's messages that we tell ourselves. There's things that we begin thinking about. There's, we look out into the future and find something to hope on and focus on. There's all different like tactics for how to deal with fear. Peter and John, the first thing they did is they went and prayed with those that they were closest with. Let's not hear prayer and just dismiss it like that's that's an automatic. Let's actually consider that that talking to God in the midst of a situation where our courage is being challenged, when when we're faced with a decision to, to retreat and to back up, is to is to stay there, to stand in that and and to pray. And then and then let's take a moment and actually look at what they prayed, because it's I think it's it's pretty fascinating. And it's not just to to pray and, and kind of wherever that might go. But there's some very specific ways to pray when our courage is challenged. Look at this. In the, in the rest of verse 24, as we continue on, it says this. Here's what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, this is their collective prayer. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The first thing that they did when they prayed was, was to, to remember who God is. They stopped in that moment and said, we have just been in jail. Like that's what we've experienced. We've just been in jail. We've just been on trial. We come back. We tell you the threats that they've told to us, that they've made. They're trying to direct our lives now in this world. They're trying to narrow it and say, you cannot say this. You cannot do this. And we're going to come back here and we're going to pray. And the first thing that we're going to pray is to remember who God is. Oh, sovereign God, you made the heavens and the earth. Okay, so just... Where, do your mind, where does your mind go when you just hear or say that? If you were to pray that right now, Sovereign God, you made the heavens and the earth. Like not even taking a courageous stand for Jesus, but just, just paying your bills this month. Just starting out your day. Just, just if your car didn't start one day this past week, what if that's the first thing out of your mouth? Sovereign God, I'm furious right now, but sovereign God, this, this is so inconvenient, but sovereign God, you made the heavens and the earth. My schedule and my day and this car and it's starting, all, all of that fits in a context of God. You are a loving and good and powerful and gracious and kind and all seeing God and you made everything. And so I'm going to remember who you are and who I am. I'm one that you made. That's the first place they started with. I'm coming out of jail and a trial and somebody who's trying to ratchet down on the freedom I have in my life by threatening me. And the first thing I'm going to do is remember who God is and that he created the heavens and the earth. And then they go on. And the second thing is this. The first thing is remember who God is. The second thing is this. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then he goes on this. This is what in the past that God had said through the Holy Spirit through, through David why do the nations rage? The imagery there, just real quick, is a, um, when you, if you think of a, a, a horse being tamed and a bit putting, being put in its mouth for the first time and it resisting the direction, resisting the control, that, that's what nations rage is. That's the, the idea, is nations want to go their own way. They don't want to go God's way. They're resisting against that. Why do nations rage? The people's in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, well, those two guys were enemies. Like they competed against each other. They did not like each other. And you know what got them on the same team and just so excited to team together? Mutual resistance to Jesus. Herod and Pontius Pilate were not on the same team. Jesus shows up. Hey, let's band together and get this guy. They met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. If the first thing that they prayed was to remember who God is, the second thing they prayed was to reorient to the reality of our world. When we pray more than the, the value and that it has a space of a, of a, of a box prayer, of, of more to calm ourselves down with our own tactics and, and tools, but to go to God and say, God, you're sovereign over everything. And not only are you sovereign over everything, but you see this mess of this world. And it, and it reorients us to say, this world isn't right. One of the, one of the things that our, our world and our, our, um, our cultures, our places, our institutions, our places of education, reach for all the time is that that people at their core are mostly good and and scripture teaches a different narrative that 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 humanity as its core is both good and bad we we use the word sinful um, is is good because they've been created by God so we're good but then we've also been marred by sin and so there's this mix and our world has this message that no We're good, and just given enough options and opportunity, we'll make the right decisions, and there's no proof on that at any level at any time throughout all of human history, but we're still learning that lesson, apparently. This prayer says this world doesn't work right because humans don't work right without Jesus. We can work well at times. We can find places of hope and find places of peace, but ultimately, we're still searching if we've not found Jesus yet. And what this prayer does is says, reorient me that, the, yeah, I'm not crazy. When I step out for Jesus and I feel a sense of resistance, and, and, and again, I, I wanna be careful. I, don't, I do not think that we're persecuted, and, and certainly not in comparison to what Peter and John and the rest of the churches will read in the next chapters experienced. But yes, there are times where it is very difficult to be a follower of Jesus. And when we step out on that, it's really helpful to be praying, God, you're sovereign in control of everything, and this world, is not right yet and you love it and you want to put it back together and you're working towards that. And that's what will happen in the end. But right now it's still warring against itself. Those are the first two things to remember to reorient. And then, and then there's a request. That's the third thing that they're prayed for when they start here. Listen to this. Here's, here's the request. Peter and John just in jail, just threatened are back with their group, their community, and they're praying and they make a request. Remember who God is reorient to the reality of the world. And then they make this request now, Lord, consider their threats, which God's already familiar with their threats, but consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm going to be perfectly honest and say, this is really convicting for me. If I'm going to put myself in that situation and go, I, mean, I, I can't imagine what, what it would be like to be arrested for, for talking about Jesus. Like that's not our culture. Um, and I'm, please don't count something having to do with vaccines and stuff like that. Like that does not count here. That happened in Canada and like but a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus being arrested. I mean, we, can't, we can't relate to that in, in Portland. Um, but if that had just happened for me, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, it would be probably quite a while till I got down my list of requests to get to boldness to do what just landed me in jail. Their very first request Give me boldness to speak the name of Jesus. Oh, and God, would you, would you continue to heal? Would there be more and more signs and wonders so that people are just absolutely blown away? So the guy that just was healed, at the, at the wherever he was healed, I don't, know, I don't remember where it was, a couple weeks ago, we looked at it and he, he didn't walk and he stood up and could walk all of a sudden. And everybody who knew that he'd never walked before in his life and they're like, this is, this is miraculous. This is, we don't have a category for this. Something unique and special is happening here. There is a power that we're not familiar with that is active right now. Would you give me the courage to speak your name, Jesus? And would you continue to heal? That was their request. That was their first request. So we say, when our courage for Jesus is tested, and the first thing is to pray, it might not be a prayer that you're very familiar with. This might actually be a brand new one. God, would you help me remember that you're in control of everything? Would you reorient me to the brokenness and the world at war with itself, that I am in an unsettled time, and this is even uncomfortable and maybe even dangerous help me to do those things and would you give me give me courage give me courage give me boldness to speak your name and continue to work that's probably a very different prayer here's why i think this is timely for us as a church one of the things that that god is doing is growing us as a church and to be able to pray like this we did a thing uh, um a month ago, if you're not familiar, there's a, there's a room back here behind this wall and we, I, I, I don't know, nine months ago, we turned it into a, um, a prayer room and we did a week of, of 24 seven prayer round the clock. Um, and we all signed up for different hours or many of us did and, and went in there and the stories that came out of that, of that time in that space were, were significant the people hearing from God for the first time of of people sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in, in a way that they had not before or ever. Um, there's a, there's a wall on, on there that, and you can go in and afterwards and see this if you want. And actually, if you don't want to see the prayer room, I'm not exaggerating. It's 14 degrees warmer in that room. So, I mean, thank you for not running there now, but like that, there's a wall where it's just declarations of who God is. That this, Sovereign God, you created the heavens and the earth. There's just a wall where we've just written that up there. There's a section of that wall that there, you, can, you can write a, a sacred prayer and roll it up and stick it in. It's just between you and God. Now, I don't know what's written in those. I know the ones I wrote, but I don't know anybody else's. There's another whole section where there's these little tags and some are white and some are gray And there are requests for prayer for people who don't know Jesus and names are written on that. And, and then there's other, I think it's the gray ones are written are names of people who are struggling with health issues right now. That's, that's this. Would you give me boldness to say the name of Jesus for people who don't know Jesus? Would you bring signs and wonders into our experience in this world right now for people who need healing? God, would you, would you do that? And we've got a whole thing that's covered with those names. And then behind that, is hanging these collection of them that were written, uh, It was, was it last April, March or April, when we did our first week of prayer. God's invited us to to become a people of prayer that don't just dismiss it as like an automatic, like I'm a follower of Jesus, I pray, but to say, God, I, w- I want this to be part of my life. I want to hear from you. I want to know that you're listening. I want to know your voice. I want to know your prompting so that like what's needed for courage is that I can choose you above all else habitually. And you can show me those ways to to go that that we need to grow in this as a church. If we're going to step out and be courageous for the name of Jesus in our city, in our time. That's the first one. The second one is this, that they were united with their community. They were united in community. When our courage is tested, their first thing they did is they went to their people and then they shared everything that just happened. That they had people in their life, they had relationships, they had community, they had friends, they had that, that word that, that is used back in chapter two. And it first, had, all of a sudden the church wasn't and then the church was and there was this, this word called fellowship. Verse, verse 24 says this, when they heard this, they raised their voices together and it, it, I realize it's plural there, their voices together, but the word there actually has this sense of, it's singular, it's, they raised their voice, okay? So Peter and John come back into the house and they share everything that happened and they start praying and they raise their voice together, not just voices, but voice. And as I was studying this, there's this like scholars like kind of debate, like what, what did that look like? They raised their voice together. Does that mean they all agreed on which scripture to pray? And then one person said it and everybody else just echoed, amen? Um, had they practiced this before and they were all able to say it in unison? Like we've been doing this, this prayer for giving the liturgy for like, I don't know, a year or so. And we're like pretty darn close. Like this is the first time out of the gate. Did they just all say it at the same time together? You know what? Who cares? Like that, that does not matter. The tactics of what that looked like doesn't matter. What's described, what we have recorded for us is that there was a sense of unity that when brothers and sisters were in the house and these two brothers come back, Peter and John, having shared the threats and jail and trial that they had just been under, that they just all started praying together. And there was a sense of we're in this together. And these verses from Scripture just kind of oozed out of them. Why? Because they were familiar with Scripture and they were in Scripture regularly and they prayed together. And then it says later on in verse uh, 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart. Man. I mean, we, I I don't know that we have a real tangible uh, experience of unity. Um, I I don't know where we reach out and touch that right now. I mean, other than in the um, uh, Timbers Army, maybe that's the only place. Like, like I I don't like, I'm serious. Like, I, I uh, have been noticing. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's so much more uh, fighting in pro sport spaces right now. Um, I mean, s- s- soccer's kind of always had that internationally, and it's maybe part of the entertainment with with football. But in, in NFL, like, there's fight, like places of unity where you think we're all cheering for a team, and there's these outbreaks of violence. We're not unified as a as a nation. I mean, that was kind of a goal when we started out this latest administration. That's Far from realized, and we wish it was. We don't even need to comment globally, right? Like, I mean, good gosh, like, <laughs> unity's not on the table right now. Like, that's, we don't know how to spell it globally. We, we don't have places that we're unified. And, and here is a vision for the people of God, churches, to be unified and, and not unified in like sign off on a statement. But unified is when crisis happens, when challenge happens, when fear becomes overwhelming, when anxiety rises. Rather than tearing apart, there's a joining together. That there's space created to say, hey, we actually need to be together. Um, there's, there's moments and there's um, expectation that we, we listen to one another and we care for one another and we know who our people are. That this description of being one in heart and mind is actually one of the ways that we are called to live distinctly different than the rest of the world. And boy, do we have a lot of space to improve in that. Churches do not have a reputation, let's just talk in just in our nation, do not have a reputation of being unified. In fact, churches have a reputation of being a place to stare at for drama and stuff that tears them apart. But we're called to be a people that that loves one another. I'm not talking about the world outside. I'm just talking about one another that loves one another in such a way that we're unified together. Not that we're the same. Don't hear that. We can be unified without having some kind of uniform that we all fit into. We're going to see as we go on through the book of Acts that it's the first... Multi ethnic, multi racial, cuts across socioeconomic lines, um, stories and backgrounds, and even, even beliefs and convictions to some level, are unified in the same community and is this amazing light and witness to the world of there's something different going on here. Are you drawn to it or repelled by it? And what we know throughout history is that more and more were drawn to it and joined it, and it spread rapidly not because they were uniform and all the same, but because they were able to love one another and be one in heart and mind. They were unified. And again, that doesn't say we assent to a statement or a creed. That is part of it. But it's a lived experience of being in relationship with one another. And that is particularly why it's so timely for us as a church. There are a number of us in this room right now and maybe watching right now, or at another time who consider themselves a part of Mosaic, but actually aren't known and in relationship. That, that there's, there's been a challenge to find a way in to say, yeah, I know my people among my church family. I think we have uh, seven communities right now. Some are full, some have room, some are thriving, some are struggling. That's, that's not nearly enough for each and every one of us to be able to feel like, yes, there's a there's a place I can go. That when crisis hits, when challenge hits, I know my people, I can go to and sit with them and we can pray together. They can hear me. They can walk with me. On a normal day, that's who I go and hang out with as well, not just when crisis hits. And so we need this. And we need them not just to be a, a place that we, we just pass through, but a, but a a place where we're known, where somebody else knows who I am, what I'm struggling with, what my what my joys are, what my sorrows are, what my life looks like, what I dream about, what I struggle with, that I'm, I'm known. And some of us have that in, in other places, and, and, and that's fine. But one of our calls as a church, one of the things that we need to grow in is to be able to identify leaders and hosts and people who are ready to say, I'm willing to step out and, and start something new, or I'm willing to invite a few others in. This is the end of October. In early December, we're gonna have a few opportunities. If you're interested in being a part of that, we've got, like I said, we've got seven right now. We've got one that's starting, a new one starting this next month, November. We've got two more that are on track to start in, uh, in January. But communities within ourselves as a church where people can be known and journey together and struggle together and pray together and learn together and grow together and serve together, and step out in courage for Jesus and witness in this world in some creative way. Peter and John had that, and that was their go-to right where they landed, right when they immediately went. The third thing is this, and this is going to sound a little bit different. You're like, how does this fit in? Well, it fits in because it's the very next verses. Listen to these verses in uh, 32 through 35 say this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, But they shared everything they have with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Whoa. So... A lot of us don't own houses. Some of us do own houses. So there's your task. Just put a for sale sign up this afternoon. Got a couple realtors in the house they can help. And man, next Sunday, this will be, this will be fun. Um, how do we, what do we do? What do we do with this radical, wonderful vision of people not being in need? And wh- what is it? What, what's the call? Like, here, here's the thing. This isn't a a to-do like tactical plan. This is a story that represents how God was working. And it is at the same time a challenge for how God can work within us now. And here's the reality. Peter and John went from a trial, from jail, from being threatened and walked into this. So at the very time that their courage was tested, they stepped into a community that was giving generously. When, track with me on this. When our courage is tested, it is important that we continue to give generously. And the reason and the vision is not first and foremost so that all who have need would be taken care of. Okay, that's what grabs our attention, right? Because we look around us and we know there's a world in need. And then we look internally, even as as us as a church, and we know that there's our, our people in the inner church. There are people that are a part of Mosaic that are, are planning on coming in here on November 20th when there's bags of, of food that we deliver on the 19th on Sunday and we'll come in and get, and get food for the next week. So there are people in, in need within us. We know this. But that is not the primary purpose for giving generously. Look at verse thirty. Three. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. We're to give generously because we're joined together in a shared mission in this world, not to give generously first and foremost, because those are are in need among us. The order is vitally important because the order will shape our vision and shape our motives. And we need to check ourselves to this. It is not, do we look around and make sure everyone is covered in a need? That is secondary important, but secondary primary. And of first importance is why are we joined together? We're joined together to name the name of Jesus, to be a light in a dark place, to be a people that live distinctly different in a city that is broken in the need of Jesus. And that is why we give. And when we do that, those that might lag behind because they're in need actually get caught up. And not that we're all equal, not that we all have the same stuff, but their needs are not taking them out of the mission, that they're able to contribute and to be a part of it because they're not struggling in need. That's what was happening in the early church. And so rather than this being twisted into some kind of vision for communism where everything is shared and redistributed, it keeps Jesus at the center and says, no, what binds us together is that we are all asking the question of in our own gifts and wiring and our own fear and opportunity, how do we become a part of the witnessing mission that names the name of Jesus in our city? We can grow in this as a church. We're making some decisions right now that will keep us on this track. You heard earlier that we're, we're ending our lease. We've been in that for 15 years and we've signed three five-year leases and it ends. We actually just paid our last payment and we're moving out over the next number of weeks. That's been awesome space across the street. We don't need all of that space right now. And with where our budget is, it makes a lot of sense that we, we not just save money there, but we're able to continue to give to the things that keep us on, on focus in our mission and not just have the convenience of a nice office. We've got space that we can use up here in the building. We wanna make decisions that keep us focused on making disciples and naming the name of Jesus. That we have opportunity to reach high school students that have never heard the name of Jesus before. As we have opportunities to develop and send leaders into wherever they're called. As we have opportunities to give to, we're, we're involved in, in Haiti, we're looking for a new place to partner in the future. As we look for places to say, where is it that God wants us on the cutting edge of naming his name, both locally and globally, how can we take our resources and keep them in line for that? And not only that, but then grow them and have more that focuses us on the mission that God called this first band of believers and that has continued on for 2000 years that we find ourselves a part of. When our courage for Jesus is tested, we're called to pray, we're called to be unified in relationships and community with one another and we're called to continue to give generously to join the mission that God has done through the very first church until today. I want you to pray with me as we come to this table, believing that these are calls to us are very timely as a church and that we don't get off track or distracted, but that we keep our eyes firmly focused on Jesus. And so Jesus, we come to your table this morning being reminded that God, you are sovereign, Holy Spirit, you are active and working And Jesus. You laid down your life. You didn't just go to jail. You weren't just threatened, that you were beaten and brutalized, that you as God in the flesh were nailed to a cross, paid the price for our brokenness, conquered death and rose again. A story that seems too good to be true, but that you offer us healing, salvation, restoration, redemption, hope, and a purpose in this world. And so as we come as a church to these tables in front of us and reminded of your bloodshed and your body broken, would we receive yet again your forgiveness? And would you stir within us? the place that you want us to step out and encourage, to name your name, and to be your people visibly, distinctly different in a world that needs your love and your hope and your peace and your kindness.